In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade. That's what we were told. Most Americans never believed Lee Oswald was the lone gunman, for excellent reasons. In fact, there were at least six shooters who fired from eight to ten shots or more who are identified here. We have, finally, the solution to the greatest murder mystery in history, laid out for the world to see proof after proof after proof. Photos were faked, the body was changed, x-rays were altered, the home movies were fixed. Fifteen experts contribute to a 529-page book with 1,037 photos and diagrams in black and white and color. Hi, this is Gary King. If you'd like JFK, who, how, and why, and would like to support the new JFK show, then go to PatriotRadioBooks.com. That's PatriotRadioBooks.com. Love it, love it, love it. Love that, Tom Lear. What a brilliant guy. Everyone, I reiterate, periodically must watch Dr. Strangelove. Stanley Kubrick's most brilliant film, absent, of course, is faking the moon landing footage, which took in the whole world, about the risks associated with nuclear war. It is the most profound film ever made. It's my number one best film of all time. If you haven't ever watched it, do yourself a treat. Check it out. Before I begin with the latest developments in the news, let me add that uh, Nighthawk, who owns a Revolution Radio, has encouraged all of us hosts to create sub-forums where we can feature our research on various subjects. I'm very enthusiastic about doing this. As soon as I figure out how to upload links and videos and stories and all that, you're going to have a bonanza of resources on JFK. 9-11, Wellstone, Sandy Hook, the Boston bombing, up to and including more recent events like Charlottesville, Las Vegas. I mean, really unbelievable how much we have been subjected to deceit and deception by our own government, which seems to be spending more time, more resources <clears throat> on deluding the American people and using the FBI to cover it up. Remember. The FBI was lost caught wiping the cell phones and laptops from those who'd been present at the concert during the Las Vegas false flag attack. I mean, it was a complete illusion. It was a movie. They had a pre-recorded soundtrack. They were broadcasting over the PA system of real shots having been fired, real shots hitting hard surfaces, more than one weapon that was coordinated with visual special effects such as light burst simulating machine guns in the middle of the uh, Mandalay Bay, not the 32nd floor, the fourth floor, higher floors, higher floors, uh, three light bursts, all, all coordinated with the sound effects. We had a crowd that was seated with uh, hundreds of crisis actors that had been recruited by Crowds on Demand who began their advertising 15 days in advance. 
We had George Soros place a $41 million short on the Mandalay Bay MGM so that when the stock crashed, he'd make a bundle of money. We had James Merritt, the chief executive officer, selling off 80% of his stock in MGM Mandalay Bay, anticipating that when it dropped, he'd be able to buy it back up and make a bundle. I mean, this is embarrassing. This is bad. This is awful. The Chertoff group standing by salivating at the thought of having these scanners, these x-ray scanners that you have to encounter, you have to navigate in airports in order to, you know, aboard a plane. I mean, I regularly resist doing it. They put me through an alternative, sometime with a pat down, sometime not, but I mean, bear in mind, those scanners at airports subject you to exposure for around 30 seconds. If you go to a dentist and they're going to take x-rays of your teeth, they put uh, uh, cover you with a lead vest before you, they expose you to milliseconds, milliseconds of exposure. Who knows how much damage can be done to the human body in 30 seconds. It can be substantial. So I encourage you, if you have to confront the gauntlet of going through airport security, it used to be a lot of fun, by the way, to go to the airport and meet friends or relatives coming from planes. You could go right up to the gate. You could watch the plane taxi up. You could greet them as they came out into the aisle. I mean, it was really fun. And then we had the fabricated, orchestrated events of 9-11, and, of course, it was the the centerpiece was the allegation that we had these 19 Islamic hijackers commandeering four commercial carriers and crashing them into airplanes and buildings uh, such as the Pentagon, where I endlessly point out that the Flight 11 North Tower and 77 Pentagon were not even in the air that day. The Bureau of Transportation Statistics, which records the takeoff and landing of every commercial carrier in the United States, did not show those flights scheduled that day. Uh, A brilliant blues musician, Jerome Holmgren from Australia, was the first to notice He's unfortunately departed this earth long since. I would like to have congratulated him for having been so astute. I actually resisted the idea that the plane attacks had been fraudulent until a year and a half after I founded Scholars for 9-11 Truth in December of 2015, where Judy Wood and uh, Morgan Reynolds beat up on me to look at the evidence. I thought it was so preposterous because I'd seen the videos in New York, of course. I mean, how could... How could anyone doubt that planes had hit the buildings? But when I began to study the evidence, it was overwhelming that that, that those weren't real planes, that real planes would have crumpled on impact. The the design of those buildings was so robust. Parts, body seats, luggage, tail, wings fallen to the ground. Didn't happen for the North Tower. Didn't happen for the South. And I've become among the foremost advocates of what's known as no planes theory, which maintains the following four theses in combination or conjunction, that Flight 11 did not hit the North Tower, that Flight 175 did not hit the South Tower, that Flight 77 did not hit the Pentagon, that Flight uh, 93 did not crash in Shanksville. And I've given so much proof so much evidence to me, it's embarrassing. 
that anyone continues to believe what we were told about 9-11. My God, 15 of the 19 Islamic hijackers were from Saudi Arabia. None of them were from Iraq. Uh, None of them were members of al-Qaeda. That was completely made up. Osama bin Laden, when he was first informed of the attack, said that it was contrary to the tenets of the Koran to murder innocent women and children, in that uh, there appeared to be a government within the government that wanted to blame this on Muslims. Even Bill Clinton himself acknowledged there was a government within the government and that he did not control it. In fact, Osama bin Laden was our man in Afghanistan. He actually was instrumental in getting the Stinger missiles into the hands of the Mujahideen who used them to shoot down Russian tanks, Russian planes, helicopters, choppers, planes, and drove them out of Afghanistan, uh, where he was, in fact, a member of the CIA, Colonel Tim Osmond, in case you're unaware. He, uh, he was visited by a CIA official at a hospital in Dubai shortly before his death on 15 December 2001. Yes. He was buried in an unmarked grave in accordance with Muslim tradition or local obituaries. We had multiple reports, even from the mainstream, from CNN, from Fox News, about his death. New York Times would follow about six months later on the death of bin Ladenism. I reported this in many different places. Don't be taken in. There's a brilliant article by Nick Kohlerstrom, who's the leading expert on the London 7-7 subway attacks, on my blog entitled Osama bin Laden, 1957 to 2001. I was as head of scholars for 9-11 Truth, publishing articles, debunking the various videos and audio tapes that were being released after his death, exposing them as frauds, as charlatans, as fakes. Uh, David Ray Griffin, the dean of 9-11 studies, has published (coughs) a book about it, Osama bin Laden, Dead or Alive. Clearly dead, but it was politically expedient for Barack Obama to resurrect him 10 years later and kill him, you know, have him die again uh, to position himself for the triumphal re-election for having taken out the most wanted man in the world. But it was all poppycock. It was all, to put it more bluntly, bullshit. Uh, Residents of the village said they'd never seen Osama there for the reason he had never been there. The photographs of a man holding a clicker were of the owner of the compound. The SEAL team ran a phony raid. We all saw that photograph staged of Joe Biden, Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama staring intensely at a large screen television that was supposed to be watching the event, the raid on the compound, go down in real time until Leon Panetta and the director of the CIA blew their cover and pointed out that in fact, there'd been no live coverage for the first 20 to 25 minutes, which, of course, was the entire duration of the raid. But Obama, who claimed that he'd been, you know, been under criticism for having troops uh, stationed in Pakistan, for having Guantanamo still open, claimed the tip had come from Guantanamo. Oh, gee, I guess we're glad it really is still open. He was troops stationed in Pakistan. Well, maybe it's not such a bad thing they're after all. And wiped the issues about his birth certificate off the front page, not of the mainstream, mind you, only of the alternative media, and positioned himself for a triumphal re-election. That's politics in the United States, and Barack Obama's style. And I will be putting up the links to reports I've given, which are 
multiple at this point in time, including the Midwest 9-11 Truth Conference, the original, held, as I recall, in 2014. And then more recently, uh, the Midwest 9-11 Truth Conference 2, where I have 14 parts, some of which run two hours, going through all of this. And if you want an overview, there's one on the Brian Rue R-U-H-E show. Just put in Brian Rue R-U-H-E common 9-11. You'll have a two-hour overview where you'll see I go through the evidence, the proof that no plane crashed in Shanksville, no plane hit the Pentagon, and that the, the, the flights in New York were fabricated or faked. There's been a lot of debate about how it was done. <clears throat> Some have advocated the idea that was, uh, you know, computer-generated images. That was the position of Rosemary Grable, known as the web fairy. Ace Baker has advanced a theory that was video compositing, adding the images of the planes to the broadcast footage before it actually went out. There's like a 17-second delay during which that can be done. But on either of those two alternatives, no one would have seen real planes in flight or what they took to be. And in fact, we have hundreds of witnesses who claim to have seen the plane, which is supposed to be flight 175 approach and hit the building effortlessly, effortlessly, which is what gives away the game. I mean, no real plane could have effortlessly entered the building. They had to have the plane all the way inside the building before it exploded to give a pseudo justification for the collapse of the buildings, which in fact didn't collapse either. They were blown apart in every direction from the top down. They were being converted into millions of cubic yards of very fine dust. And when it was over, there was nothing in their footprint, nothing at all. And contrast that with Building 7, a 47-story building. Doesn't blow apart in every direction. Isn't being converted into cubic yards of very fine dust. And when it's over... There's a stack of pancakes, floors of debris equal to 20, 12% of the height of the original 47 or 5.5 floors by that same standard had the Twin Towers collapsed since they were 110-story buildings. There should have been around 14 floors of debris, but it's not there. Father Frank Morales from St. Mark's Episcopal Church was on my radio shows in the past twice. Both times affirmed they were destroyed to or even below ground level. That required something very sophisticated. When you put together the fact that we have these massive pools of molten level, molten metal that endured in the sub-basements until the 1st of December, which required extraordinarily high temperatures, that we have the U.S. Geological Survey doing dust sample studies from 35 locations in Manhattan and coming up with a host of elements Lithium, lanthanum, strontium, uranium, tritium, some of which only exist in radioactive forms that indicate this was a nuclear event. Uh, The evidence substantiates that it was done with a sophisticated arrangement of many or micro nukes distributed through the towers that were set off in a sequence intended to simulate a collapse (coughs) from the top down. Uh, where the, 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 the devices used uh, provide far more energy than conventional and can be directed, which satisfied Judy Wood's definition of directed energy weapons, so that ironically we actually have the Twin Towers taken by, down by directed energy weapons, but not the, the, the space beam uh, devices that she articulates, where 
Judy gives her role away by declining to talk about who was responsible and why by telling us that we have to know exactly how it was done before we can address who was responsible and, uh, and why. When that's uh, indispensable to creating a coherent narrative that makes any sense to the American people, if you don't understand the role of 9-11 that was uh, originally conceived of Bibi Netanyahu conducted a conference on terrorism in Jerusalem in like 1986, published a book, Terrorism, How the West Can Win in 1987, uh, was instrumental in the creation of the Project for a New American Century, this neoconservative think tank uh, loaded with dual U.S.-Israeli citizens who were promoting the, the fantasy of a new American century that if the U.S. would only move aggressively into the Middle East because now the demise of the Soviet Union, which occurred in 1990-91, that it could exert military and diplomatic pressure outward from that geopolitically sensitive region and create a new American empire that would endure in the next 100 years. That was a fig leaf. That was a cover story. Because the whole idea was to perpetrate a a phony, a contrived, and orchestrated event that would be used to convince the American people they're being attacked by an outside enemy in order to support these endless wars of aggression in the Middle East. Where Wesley Clark finally revealed the complete agenda of uh, taking out seven governments in the next five years, beginning with Iraq and Libya, ending with uh, Syria and Iran. And while it hasn't played out that way because of the intervention of Russia and Iran on behalf of the Syrian government, whose democratically elected governor, President Bashir al-Assad, by the way, enjoys something like an 80% approval rating by the Syrian people. Why is it? The mainstream media never mentioned to the American people that Bashir al-Assad is a democratically elected president of Syria who enjoys a higher popular rating than our present president or than past presidents. I mean, George Bush got an astronomical approval rating going from the doldrums after 9-11 because he was seen as an heroic figure for for an attack that he himself participated in planning. I mean, this is as disgusting as it gets. Completely outrageous. And now we know from Cynthia McKinney with the new members of Congress arrive in Washington, they're asked to sign a pledge to put the interests of Israel ahead of those of the United States. And those who decline find themselves confronted with a well-financed alternative candidate <clears throat> or that their district has been redrawn and they no longer have a seat. Cynthia was able to overcome those obstacles, but most were not, including Dennis Kucinich, who I regard as the smartest guy in Congress in the last 50 years. Dennis Kucinich had his district redrawn. And I believe it was because he, he, he refused to play the Israeli game. In fact, it's outrageous, but a principal reason JFK was taken out was because of, uh, uh, he had insisted that the World Jewish Congress, a precursor of the American-Israeli Political Action Committee, they like to call themselves Public Affairs Committee, but no one doubts their role as the most powerful lobby in Washington, D.C., where, where, you know, Jack was at odds with David Ben-Gurion, the founder of Israel and its first prime minister, because 
Israel wanted to develop nuclear weapons. Jack opposed it. He wanted there to be inspections of their research facility at Demona. David Ben-Gurion opposed it. He appears to have resigned in disgust after directing the Mossad to participate in the assassination of our 35th president. They were hardly alone, but they do appear to have played an important role. In fact, I have received new reports that the Daltex building, from which three shots were fired with an unsilenced man liquor carcano, was actually owned by Israel. This is the window from which George Herbert Walker Bush supervised the assassination of John Fitzgerald Kennedy. It's a disgrace. He was arrested by a, by a Dallas deputy sheriff when he, after he rushed out of the building. He was, uh, you know, there was so much commotion, they had no choice but to arrest him. He identified himself as an independent Houston oilman uh, and was, you know, questioned but then released. Subsequently, we find he was photographed in front of the Dal Tex building that Edward Lansdale, who was an Air Force general responsible for assassinations all over the world, was 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 walking past the three tramps. He was identified by none other than L. Fletcher Prouty and uh, and Victor Krulak, among the most uh, respected you know, of all Marine Corps generals. And we have a third photograph where Edward Lansdale, whom we believe positioned the shooters and determined the sequence in which the shots were to be taken, standing by waiting to speak to George Herbert Walker Bush. It's that bad. It's that bad. And, of course, we had a whole succession of presidents who would never have occupied that position but for the death of JFK, including, obviously, Lyndon Johnson, who had forced himself on the ticket in Los Angeles in 1960 in order to take out Jack and ascend to the presidency. Richard Nixon, who'd participated in the ratification meeting at the home of Clint Murkison Sr. the night before. Gerald Ford, who was uh, J. Edgar Hoover's man on the, on the Warren Commission, was keeping him informed of developments and directions so Hoover could anticipate and block or, or correct them. Jimmy Carter was an unexpected uh, surprise. But Ronald Reagan used his campaign manager, Ed Casey, to negotiate with the Iranians who had regained their freedom by deposing the dictator that had been imposed upon Iran after the coup in 1953, destabilized democratically elected government. Yes, that was the CIA once again. Kermit Roosevelt, who was a cousin of Teddy, was responsible for that operation. Most Americans have never put two and two together, don't realize that the hostage, the takeover of the American embassy in Tehran was a, a, an act of reasserting the freedom and self-determination of the Iranian people because we had de deprived them of their democratically elected government in 1953 and imposed a tyrant known as the Shah, who had a despicable secret police who was you know, the torturing, kidnapping leaders, a disgrace. And so Ed Casey arranged that so Jimmy Carter wouldn't be reelected. Ronald Reagan became elected, but then we had the Hinckley shooting where he was another patsy, and, and Reagan was actually shot by a Secret Service member to get the message across, let George do it. I'll be right back. In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade... That's what we were told. 
Most Americans never believed Lee Oswald was the lone gunman, for excellent reasons. In fact, there were at least six shooters who fired from eight to ten shots or more who are identified here. We have, finally, the solution to the greatest murder mystery in history, laid out for the world to see proof after proof after proof. Photos were faked, the body was changed, x-rays were altered, the home movies were fixed. Fifteen experts contribute to a 529-page book with 1,037 photos and diagrams in black and white and color. Hi, this is Gary King. If you'd like JFK, who, how, and why, and would like to support the new JFK show, then go to PatriotRadioBooks.com. That's PatriotRadioBooks.com. <laughs> I just love it. For those of you in the chat room, okay, Gearbearer has promised that he's going to forward, and he's already starting to do so. Any questions you may have, so I'm trying to, you know, work out the the kink so I can get questions from the chat room. I love questions, and you can send me a question on any topic whatsoever. It doesn't have to be what I'm discussing on the show today. It can be anything that that, that tickles your fancy. And once I get the subform up, you're going to have so much research material to pour through that you'll be well positioned to address any questions you want to me about any of those events I address, which are, you know, virtually all the whole range of, of contrived events, but also any other significant event you want to ask me about. I'll be very glad to entertain your question. And if I, if I, uh, you know, don't like the question, I'll just finesse it. But, I mean, I like questions, so, you know, go ahead and give it a shot. Now, Donald Trump's greatest promise, I think, when he was on the campaign trail was to drain the swamp. The fact of the matter is it may be this is actually taking place. There are multiple indications, uh, all of which are individually uncertain, but where together, cumulatively, it seems to me they add up to something, including this report from Pravda, Trump's military cue. This is written by Timothy Bancroft Hinchley, and it reads as follows. It is the fantasy, dare I say, wet dream of all Hillary haters and all Trumpsters everywhere. Donald Trump is going to take down the deep state, a stunning military coup. True, straight down. As you read these very words, there are over a thousand sealed indictments for Hillary Clinton and other deep state operatives. Further, the U.S. courts cannot be trusted as they are riddled with bought and corrupt jurists, so military tribunals will be used to try these enemies of the state. It is going down, so says Q. Now, Scott Bennett is a former Army Intel and uh, PSYOPs officer. I found this uh, intriguing and reached out to some of his contacts who know more about uh, Pravda. Uh, And they were expressing some skepticism, suggesting Pravda was on a par with the National Enquirer. I would observe that the National Enquirer actually is very good about a lot of issues. The problem is sorting it all out. And you have to have a background in judgment to determine what's worth the reporting or taking seriously and what not. The idea about the military tribunal struck Scott as particularly significant since, of course, under the Constitution, we have due process in civilian courts. Now, 
I have been given to understand that since uh, 9-11, Bush made a declaration that actually put us on a state of emergency footing where we're not actually any longer, strictly speaking, governed by the Constitution, but by military law. Now, I wish I could tell you more or with more certainty this to be the case. But if it is the case, then it might be that military tribunals actually are the order of the day. So all stand by. We have, in addition to this report, by the way, others asserting that the Marines have landed at Langley, that they have apprehended a whole host of computers, hard drives, records, and so forth from the CIA headquarters. And given the extent to which the CIA has been complicit in, you know, corrupting American politics, uh, infesting our media, for example, uh, this would be a welcome development. Is there more to it? Well, uh, let, let, let's see. I, I have another report. This is coming from ExoPolitics. Did President Trump endorse QInfo on secret indictments of pedophile network? On November 25th, President Trump retweeted an alternative news article lauding many of the accomplishments achieved during his administration so far. The site he retreated, Megapill, soon crashes many of the president's 42 million followers went there to learn more. What's significant about the article and site he retweeted is that it featured a November 19th uh, story about these matters uh, uh, and what's really going on that were derived from this source Q. Uh, Here's another story about it uh, from uh, MAGA. Clearance, Patriot, the Storm and the Awakening. Q clearance. Yeah, that's a high level, you see. Q is a level of clearance above top secret, well above top secret. Here's QAnon. Preface, let me start off saying that the QAnon, Q clearance, Patriot posts are so vast in scope to summarize everything is nearly impossible. The posts paint a huge picture around on, uh, the basis that everything is connected and everything has meaning. I'm going to give you my feeble attempt at the Cliff Notes version of just a few of the first posts and expand on it a little. Down the rabbit hole. The special counsel is not corrupt. Let me say that again. The special counsel headed by Mueller is not running a corrupt investigation. He's doing the job properly under the guise of investigating the Trump team. This has lowered the guard of the true targets because nobody anticipated it, including the media. There are an unprecedented number of sealed indictments across the nation right now that have not yet been executed or made public, but that many high-level political elite are going to be covered by this attempt to drain the swamp. Liz Cronkin now, this is a celebrated independent journalist who's been publishing about this substantially, laying it out last week, I'm certain I reported it then, that that's what's been going on. The, the, the deep state multimedia corporation are pushing the pedophile agenda that they need to be exposed uh, and that there are multiple ways it's taking place. Here we have a list of a total, believe it or not, of 4,289 Uh, sealed indictments that range all across the nation. I mean, you know, it's stunning and it's suggestive to me that this may be, in fact, really taking place. 4,289 indictments, pedophiles, especially in high position. You may recall when I was talking about Pizzagate that I was was, uh, reporting a 
an interview I had with Jim Rostein, who's an NYPD Gold Shield detective. I mean, that, that means he had a distinguished career as an NYPD detective. And where I asked him, he, he'd been involved in cracking many pedophile cases in New York. <clears throat> and where I asked him when I shared with him the revelations from the Anthony Weiner treasure trove, did any of this surprise me? And he told me, no, it didn't, because based upon his experience, 70%, 70% of the political elite in the United States are engaged in pedophile activities. This is... Uh, by the way, an important aspect of the Russian hacking meme having been made up by John Podesta and Robbie Mook within 24 hours of Hillary Clinton's concession speech, they were, they were uh, intended, they, they made it up out of whole cloth. I mean, there wasn't any Russian hacking. We know there were leaks that were done by Seth Rich, who would pay for it with his life. He was the IT guy for the DNC. He was disillusioned by all of the, the the sabotaging of Bernie Sanders' campaign where 13 primaries Bernie had won were wrongly given to Hillary by Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who was running a completely corrupt op. Uh, I mean, even the present Tom Perez, the new head of the DNC, has been distancing himself from Hillary, from Debbie Wasserman Schultz because of all of these corrupt acts which really are unprecedented, even up to and including, you know, the Uranium One scandal where Hillary transferred 20% of American uranium. I mean, I'm talking about physical in-the-ground resources to the Russians uh, by way of a Canadian company known as Uranium One. And that, uh, you know, she received $145 million in bribes to the Clinton Foundation. This was the role of her as Secretary of State. It was play to pay, pay to play. You, you paid her and she'd get, for example, for $75 million, if you were Australia, you could get the State Department to give strong, uh, uh, strong State Department support to uh, uh, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which Australia believed was going to be a boon. Okay, so this was a corruption. This transfer of uranium one, by the way, had to be approved by the president of the United States. Any of these two lingering, you know, belief in Barack Hussein Obama as a savior of the nation because he was tall, dark, and handsome are deluded. This guy was dirty from the beginning. I I have an expert in the field who tells me he was CIA all the way, and so too are Bill and Hill and that this has all been a CIA op, and therefore if, if, if the Donald is going to drain the swamp, he's got to go after the CIA as well as the pedophiles in the you know political elite. And if that's what's going on, I say, God bless Donald Trump. I say, if this is what's going on, God bless Donald Trump, and I'm not even a believer. I'm an agnostic. I don't I know that we cannot prove that God exists. We cannot prove that God does not exist, and therefore the if you base your beliefs on evidence, then you have to suspend belief in, in God, suspend belief in, in the non-existence of God, because that's the only rational stance. But, of course, most people don't adhere to what's known as the ethics of belief, advocated by the brilliant British philosopher William Clifford, who said that always and everywhere it is wrong to believe anything for which you do not have sufficient evidence. Since the existence of a transcendent, all-powerful, all-knowing God is far beyond 
the capacity of science to explain, to detect, to determine, to even test. It's not a testable hypothesis, therefore we can't gather evidence for it or against it. Which means, of course, it's an article of faith. Surprise, surprise. Belief in God is an article of faith. That's what every minister, rabbi, you know, priest will affirm. It's an article of faith. You can take that leap of faith or not. Those who adhere to the ethics of belief will not take that leap of faith, but most of the world does. In fact, we have the three great Abrahamic religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, uh, that... that, uh, prevail in most of the world. This is very significant. There are alternatives that have variations on the theme, like Confucianism and Taoism and Hinduism and so forth. I'm not an expert in the field, but the study of comparative religions is a fascinating one. Well, returning to the fray, here we have Stormwatcher releasing update to sealed indictments, 4,289 in all of U.S. from 1030 to 1122. How many are normal? 1,077. Then we have Paul Preston. This is a wonderful guy. He has an Agenda 21 program uh, where, in relation to Sandy Hook, he, as a superintendent of schools, was so disturbed by what he saw being broadcast on television that day, it just didn't feel right to him, that he reached out to his contacts in the Obama Department of Education and all uh, of them told him that it had been a drill, that no one had died, that it was done to promote gun control. Now, you can get Paul Preston's interview about this with Sophia Smallstorm in my book, Nobody Died at Sandy Hook, with 13 contributors for free. You can download it as a PDF. Just go online, put in the title, Nobody Died at Sandy Hook, download for free as a PDF. If you want the second edition, if you want books on Boston bombing, uh, the moon landing, 9-11, JFK, go to moonrockbooks.com because, you know, even my second book, uh, and I suppose we didn't go to the moon either, was also banned by Amazon.com. In that instance, uh, not because actually it's challenging the moon landing, and I guarantee you we did not go, but because they have four chapters about the Holocaust. That's a forbidden subject. The Zionists are so influential, even with Amazon.com, that at the instruction of the Anti-Defamation League, which appears to be the intellectual arm of the Mossad, conducting intellectual combat against those who would expose the myths on which Israel was founded, they directed Amazon to ban books dealing with the Holocaust, and they wiped out hundreds, hundreds of books. Amazon.com wiped out hundreds of books. And, of course, uh, Jeff Bezos, who owns Amazon, has got a $600 million contract from the CIA to maintain it. It's some kind of cloud storage. Uh, He used that money to buy the Washington Post, which has turned into a complete total propaganda rag. So you're getting some idea what's going on here. In any case, Paul Preston is observing how California lawmakers have enabled a culture of sexual harassment to prevail and even as I understand it, to condone pedophilia. In fact, I gather there's several efforts now to make uh, sex with children legal. Uh, if there was ever an issue on which you ought to become involved in outrage, is this idea of trying to make sex with children legal. Do a search on the Internet and find the sources, find where that's coming from, because it's completely and totally disgusting. And, and by the way, you know, 
we have the, I'm going to be checking the chat room because uh, Gerber is sending me stuff and I'm going to take a look and I'll address some of your questions after the break here at the top of the hour. But meanwhile, let me review. Newsweek is reporting JFK assassination conspiracy theories might worsen with new records of the president's death. Isn't that ironic? Rachel Maddow, who represents CIA light on MSNBC, where CNN is CIA all the time, uh, every day, 24-7, where 100 members of CNN are dual U.S.-Israeli citizens. 100. You can look it up. But where Rachel represents, you know, the lighter touch of feminist twist or the propaganda coming from the CIA, where A.M. Joy and Lawrence O'Donnell are grotesque examples of propagandist par excellence. I mean, their shows are a complete disgrace. They're obvious graduates of the CIA uh, school of disinformation and propaganda. There is, in my opinion, no doubt about it. Well, why would Newsweek think matters might get worse? Could it be because of releases like this? On September 16, 1965, from KGB headquarters, uh, uh, the KGB residency in New York City received instructions to obtain uh, all possible information about Lyndon Johnson's character, background, personal friends, family, and from which quarter he derives his support in his position of the United States because... It was now indicated that the KGB has information uh, purporting to indicate that Lyndon Johnson was responsible for the assassination of the late President John F. Kennedy. And I say right on, exactly correct, 100% he was. Forced himself on the ticket in L.A. in 1960 in order to take Jack out, and he become the President of the United States. Most Americans have no idea there was going to be a vote in the Senate the afternoon of 22 November 1963 on the Bobby Baker scandal where Bobby had been Lyndon's hitman, widely expected to tarnish Lyndon's prospects of running again with JFK, but Jack had already informed Evelyn Lincoln he was not going to run again with Lyndon, indicating Terry Sanford was in his mind, the governor then of North Carolina. So, yeah, things are going to increase because there's more evidence substantiating the existence of a conspiracy to, to assassinate the President of the United States, which included Lyndon Johnson, J. Edgar Hoover, the Secret Service, the CIA, the Joint Chiefs of the Military, and more. And as we, uh, uh, so so, uh, I'm going to continue to pursue it. I'm going to make a huge amount of evidence about it available. But where? Let me remind you some of the highlights from my last show where I gave you a very comprehensive overview about the assassination of JFK. If you go to my blog now, jamesfetzer.blogspot.com and just put in jamesfetzer.blogspot.com comma JFK. You're going to get JFK Bethesda autopsy photos, not JFK. Oswald framed Warren Commission a sham. And you'll see immediately a couple of autopsy photographs widely published and promoted, especially by Robert Grodin in his book, The Killing of the President. And what's striking about these photographs is it turns out they're not even photographs of JFK. Not even photographs of JFK. I, I presented this at the uh, JFK assassination conference this past weekend on Saturday the 18th. Okay. Saturday the 18th. I mean, what, 10 days ago. Saturday the 18th. 
that, that we now have proof that the body shown in these autopsy photographs was not the body of JFK. And when you look at the profile of JFK compared to the profile in these uh, photographs, which Broden has promoted, I mean, he, he takes special pride in his color photographs. Grote and I were sitting together having lunch in, in Dubuque, Iowa, before we would speak before an advanced high school history class about the assassination. Just he and I alone together. This was, uh, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. And Grodin offered me the right to use his color photographs, and I replied, but they're fake. He, he didn't say another word. I said to him, but they're fake. He didn't say another word. Well, now we have proof. When you look at the comparison of the JFK profile with the profile of the man in the autopsy photographs, you can see it isn't JFK. I have both the right profile and the left profile. And then Larry Rivera, who's done all this brilliant work, did a superposition and created a gift where you can see that it's not JFK. Now, Grodin is not only responsible for touting these photographs as authentic autopsy photographs, but he was the party who got the excellent version of the Zapruder film into the public arena by going on Geraldo Rivera's then show, I think it was called America. Uh, with Dick Gregory and released the Zapruder film. Only it turns out to be massively edited. It has only 487 frames. My research has revealed it should have had closer to 1,000, that they took out 100 frames turning from Houston on down because the driver, William Greer, swung out too widely, nearly hit a concrete abutment. Uh, that would have shaken the faith of the public and the CIA's competence to provide him protection. They would have noticed I would like to think that the vehicle was in the wrong position. It should have been in the middle of the motorcade, but they put it out front. So it'd be easier for the shooters to spot their target. I mean, they left no stone unturned in setting him up. In any case, here we are. So, so Grodin released a, a massively edited film as though it were authentic. In fact, to this day, in spite of proof after proof after proof after proof that the film is fake, that it's massively altered that they took out another 400 frames about the limo stop because Greer actually pulled the limousine to the left into a halt to make sure JFK would be killed, during which time he was hit twice in the head, once from behind from the Dow Tax, where the shoot team was actually being supervised by George Herbert Walker Bush. And the second uh, time after Jackie eased him up after he slumped forward and he was hit in the right temple by a frangible exploding bullet fired from the intersection of the triple underpass and the Picket fence. I mean, b believe it or not, a whole lot of activities ensued there, which Larry Rivera discovered when he found uh, uh, interviews that had been conducted by Fred Newcomb with the four motorcycle escort officers and their supervisor, Stavis Ellis. So here's Grodin, the central player in two principal deceptions of the, of the public and the people who are doing research on JFK. One in promoting these phony autopsy photographs as though they were real, when they're not even of the body of JFK. Another is, is, is promoting the film of the assassination as authentic when it's been massively edited. And frankly, Grodin has to know better. He has to know. Uh, irony of ironies, Grodin received a, a Lifetime Achievement Award during this, uh, this conference. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you. It doesn't get much worse than that, okay? A lot of people still think highly of Robert Grodin. I am not among them. 
And if you were to obtain a copy of my fourth book on JFK, where I have 15 contributors, you'll find a chapter on uh, the JFK wars, the, the challenging case of Robert Grodin, where I explain, I dissect the proof after proof after proof that he's been working for the other side. I mean, it's embarrassing. We also know now, and, you know, Robert Grodin played a key role here, too, in obfuscating the fact that Lee Oswald was in the doorway, captured in the famous photograph by AP photographer James Ike Alchins, where you see the motorcade in the foreground, JFK is clutching his throat from a shot that was fired through the windshield. Grodin, believe it or not, actually has a, a, a page where he denies there's any damage to the windshield when it's easily visible. It's a small white spiral nebula with a dark hole in the center where JFK's left ear would be if his left ear were visible. So, you know, don't be played. Here we have done additional studies. Notice the resemblance, there's tremendous resemblance between Lee and the doorman who was wearing a long-sleeved, richly textured shirt. Lee, when he was arrested, wearing a long-sleeved, richly textured shirt. So the police had had him take off the shirt and to photograph him in his T-shirt, which is to, you know, minimize the comparison. Here we have a study Larry's done, found suitable photographs of feeding Lee's facial features. We already knew it was Lee based on the height, weight, the build, the shirt, the T-shirt. But Larry has now confirmed it by feeding in the facial features of Lee Oswald. It's an exact match. The government claims it was his co-worker, Billy Lovelady, but here's a comparison of Lee and Billy. Billy, the ears are wrong, the jaw is wrong, the nose is wrong. It's obviously not Billy Lovelady. It's obviously Lee Oswald, not Billy Lovelady. And where Larry has also been able to establish that a man standing beside Lee who's shorter and heavier and wearing a short sleeve, vertically striped red and white shirt was in fact Lee Lovelady, uh, I mean Billy Lovelady, who was there in the doorway but standing beside Lee. Billy always said he thought it was odd they'd be compared because he was two to three inches shorter and 15 to 20 pounds actually considerably heavier than Lee. He'd actually gone to the FBI on the 29th of February, 1964, wearing the red and white vertically striped shirt that he said he'd been wearing at the time. And here Larry's done a reconstruction showing what it would have looked like had the alternates been in color rather than in black and white. I mean, the red and white vertically striped shirt would have stood out like a sore thumb. So, of course, they had to obfuscate it. And, and Robert Groden played a key role. Here I turn to the backyard photographs. Jim Mars and I had already concluded that, in fact, the backyard photograph was, just as Lee said, his face pasted on someone else's body. And, uh, you know, the chin is wrong. It's a blocked chin. There's an insert line between the chin and the lower lip holding the man liquor carcano, one of three different weapons presented as the assassination rifle, technically actually a carbine, uh, pistol belt with a revolver, uh, Lee is alleged to have shot Officer J.D. Tippett, but actually he was already in the Texas theater when it happened. And he, and the first shell casings that were found at the scene were ejected from automatics. Lee had a revolver. They were two different makes. The first officer on the scene identified them. Uh, he initialed them when they realized the glitch. They replaced them with revolver cartridges, and now they didn't have the initials. And now instead of two of one make two of the other, there were three of one make one of the other. Jack White noticed no handheld snapshots should match. Well, Larry has proven that we were right. It was Roscoe White standing in for Lee Oswald. All be right back. Did you know that Sandy Hook was a staged event where no children died? That the school had been closed since 2008 and there were no children there? 
13 experts, including six PhD, current or retired college professors, proved that it was a two-day FEMA drill presented to the public as a real event. We even have the manual. There was a rehearsal on the 13th going live on the 14th. Some participants became confused and put up donation sites the day before. Even the shooter was recorded as dying before the event. You have been played by Eric Holder and Barack Obama. Now Hillary wants to extend the deception by posing as a champion of Sandy Hook to confiscate your guns. Don't let yourself be played. Nobody died at Sandy Hook. If you want to get a grip on just what fake news is, then I'd suggest you get the book, Nobody Died in Boston, at PatriotRadioBooks.com. That's PatriotRadioBooks.com. Before I turn to uh, some of the questions that have been forwarded to me from the chat room, and I'm very pleased to have them, let me tie off the discussion of JFK. I mean, once you know that the backyard photographs were, you know, staged, just as Lee affirmed to Will Fritz at the time, he said that was his face based on someone else's body, and with time he'd be able to prove it. Where, of course, he didn't live long enough to have the opportunity, but where Jack White, Jim Mars... I and others, including Judith Mary Baker, who was Lee's girlfriend in New Orleans the summer before the assassination, have been able to establish he was framed where we now know the specific person who stood in for him, Roscoe Y, was a Dallas police officer who who actually fired a shot during the assassination in Dealey Plaza and may have been the assassin of many of the witnesses who died mysteriously. Another of my responsibilities during this event was to introduce Richard Charnin, who's done a study about the dead witnesses, of whom there are like 146 now. And the statistical improbability of this having, you know, been remotely by chance, which, of course, is fantastic. Once you know that we actually even have identified the the fellow who stood in who was the body double for Lee, once you know that, in fact, the uh, he was standing in the doorway in, in front of the book depository, uh, once you know that the body seen in the autopsy photographs isn't that a JFK, I mean, you know, what's left of the Warren Commission? The idea that Lee Oswald had to be the shooter, you know, was the key conclusion. But when you understand, as even Jim Garrison had concluded, incidentally, that Lee Oswald was actually in the doorway, as Harold Weisberg had explained in the second of his whitewash series, photographic whitewash, that, uh, you know, the Warren staff was having a lot of trouble trying to conceal the fact that Lee was in the doorway. I mean, there's really nothing left of the Warren Commission. It has no credibility whatsoever. I mean, we continue to do more research and we get even stronger and stronger proofs. So the conclusions toward which we'd already been drawn are correct, where Jim Mars and I, for example, had concluded that the man who had stood in for Lee had been Roscoe White because of the height, weight, the build, and this, uh, the block chin, and the fact that he has this funny abnormality on his right wrist, a bone that didn't heal right, whatever, it's a lump. So we'd already drawn that conclusion in the article we had previously published. You can find online Framing the Patsy, the case of Lee Harvey Oswald, as I recall, in 2015. 
But here we have further confirmation from Larry Revere that we were right, that the body, the double that was standing in for Lee was indeed uh, uh, Roscoe White. And uh, this guy turns out to be a very bad guy. But frankly, you know, anyone who takes seriously the, the idea that Lee Oswald shot JFK is belongs in the dunce department. I mean, this is, uh, this is beyond proof. And here we have Rachel Maddow, who, of course, is still carrying the banner. I mean, this is what you'd expect from someone who's actually working for the CIA. They don't want the truth to come out because they, they themselves are implicated in the assassination where they played a key role. Not the role that David Talbot has ascribed to Alan Dulles, however, in his book, The Devil's Chessboard, which appears to me to be an elaborate work of disinformation intended to distract attention from Lyndon Johnson's pivotal role in forcing himself on the ticket in L.A. in 1960 so that Jack could be taken out and he could ascend to the presidency. Well, Rachel will still, you know, fawn over photographs like the backyard photographs. I mean, it's frankly embarrassing. She she recently did a show where she claimed that uh, Congress passed the JFK Records Act in 1992 in order to tamp down assassination conspiracy theories. But we not only have, you know, the, 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 that's not really the objective. It was to come clean with the American people. I mean, after all, think about it. If the government account is true, if, if, if JFK was killed by three lucky shots by a disgruntled Marine using this antique Italian weapon that was known as the humanitarian rifle in World War II for never actually harming anyone on purpose, there's no national security aspect to the case. So how can documents be withheld on the grounds of national security? How can that be reconciled? with the official account. Frankly, it cannot. This means it's blatant on its face that the government's been lying to us by virtue of withholding holding documents on the grounds of national security, when if their own story were true, there is no national security aspect of the case. Uh, look at this, too. These are the photographs the CIA took in Mexico City of a man who is uh, pretending to be Lee Harvey Oswald. He doesn't look anything like Lee Harvey Oswald. Uh, we have information that uh, supports the conclusion that this is actually a fellow named Walter Tabinsky, who's a member of a crime family in Toronto, a quite notorious crime family responsible for hundreds, even a thousand murders in Toronto, robberies, ATM knockoffs, bank robberies. I mean, it's really a scandalous case where it appears that the mob has taken over the Toronto Police Department and tied in with Perm Index and, a, you know, a, a big liquor company up there that appears to have played a role in the assassination as well in the background. Uh, but, but once you know that Lee Oswald has been impersonated by someone who doesn't look remotely like Lee Oswald, they actually also had audio tapes that didn't sound at all like Lee Oswald, where Jay Edgar was moved to send out a memorandum to all his FBI section chiefs that someone was in Mexico City impersonating Lee Oswald. It, it seems to me that that's all you knew. All you knew about the assassination was that Jay Edgar had sent out a memorandum explaining that someone was in Mexico City impersonating Lee Oswald, you would know already that would be sufficient evidence to conclude that this had been a conspiracy and that Lee Oswald had been framed. 
Here's, I did an interview with George Butler you can find online at JFK 2017. Jim Fetzer, George Butler, is an old-time radio guy, really with a great reputation. And this was a fun interview talking about a wide range of uh, conspiracies and, you know, false flag attacks. I, I like George Butler a lot. Uh, and then, of course, I've mentioned already the book and the Goldfish Report number 159 with a special on JFK. Uh, uh, Louisa, very smart gal, and had this uh, POTUS, President of the United States Report, and I've come in as a co-host now for the last several months and expect to continue. But if you want to get, you know, the goods, between my blog and this book, JFK, Who, How, and Why, published this year, 2017, with 15 contributors, including excellent, excellent people, you really have the latest on what we know about JFK and how he died, which I surmise is like 95% of all there is to know. And where I also did with uh, Ole Domegaard and Paladin, um, a, a, a program with Kerry Cassidy on JFK and the Deep State that was uh, uh, highly successful. But where the emphasis with Kerry was like half of the, you know, the, the documentation I've actually presented here too. So you, you have it also right here on the raw deal. And, and where the latter parts were done in part two of the show I did with, uh, with uh, Louisa on the Goldfish Report, part two on JFK was the second half. So, Well, now let me turn before I go to Las Vegas to some of the questions that have arisen here. Let me take a look at what we have. Um, I'll try to figure out a sequence that makes a bit of sense. Um, uh, one of the claims is is disputing that the uh, the all of the indictments are, are, are fake news, that there are no indictments. Well, it's possible there are no indictments, but it seems to me there are enough indications to suggest there may be uh, new indictments. I'm not asserting it as a conclusion. This is an excellent opportunity to explain. There's four steps or stages in scientific reasoning. The first is you have some evidence that isn't readily explainable given your background knowledge that creates a state of puzzlement. The second stage is to consider the alternative possible explanations for that puzzlement, a stage of speculation. <clears throat> the third is adapting those alternative hypotheses to the evidence. I mean, look, take, 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 uh, you got anomalies about JFK, these backyard photographs don't seem right, the weapon seems a bizarre choice. Um, uh, the, once you know the, uh, you know, the, uh, the autopsy x-rays have been uh, altered and patched, that the, someone else's brain was substituted for that of JFK, that the Zafruber film has been off, you know that the jig is up. I mean, that's completely different. And when you start considering the alternatives that the KGB did it or Castro did it or the mafia did it, that, then you got to consider the body was under military control, that the mafia could not have extended its reach into Bethesda Naval Hospital to alter x-rays under control of medical officers of the United States Navy or the Secret Service or the president's personal physician, that the KGB might have had the ability to alter films comparable to the CIA, but they could not have got a hold of this Zapruder, that the mafia could not have substituted someone else's brain for the brain of JFK. And you begin to realize a range of alternative plausible explanations is becoming very narrow. 
where in his brilliant book, Bloody Trees, and uh, Noel Twyman pointed out that uh, the, the, the arrangement with the greatest prospect of success would have been a combination of the CIA military with the Joint Chiefs, with J. Edgar Hoover, with the Secret Service, and Lyndon Johnson, who had become the new president. After all, he could control the course of events and ensure that no one ever paid a penalty for having participated in the assassination. Now. At this point in time, it's all established beyond a reasonable doubt. I readily concede, however, that the idea that, that, that Trump is actually draining the swamp, that there are this massive number of indictments, could be false news. But I'm suggesting it looks to me like there are enough in, evidential indicators to suggest that it isn't fake news, okay? Uh, I'm saying tentatively, you know, I'm offering the conjecture that it may be the case. I'm not asserting it is the case. I absolutely agree we don't have enough evidence because the difference between the stage of uh, a state of adaptation where you're adapting the hypothesis to the evidence where you can should prefer an hypothesis that has a higher evidential support than an alternative because <clears throat> it confers a higher probability on the evidence than do the alternatives. Uh, so, of course, there's a higher probability on it having been a conspiracy involving the CIA, the Joint Chiefs, uh, and Secret Service, and so forth, given the evidence we have on JFK, than that it was a real deal, and Oswald was the lone assassin, which I regard as, at this in this in, in evidential environment, to be simply absurd. But I don't regard it as absurd to question whether or not Donald really is draining the swamp. I'm just saying... When you have an investigative journalist of the quality of Liz Cronkin, who's been now publishing that the, the Mueller uh, uh, operation is actually a sting, that Mueller knows that the Donald didn't collude with Russia, uh, that it's actually an investigation of Hillary's collusion with Russia. And I can guarantee you there's nothing doubtful about that. Hillary was colluding with Russia. Uh, uh, she had all kinds of corrupt activities going on. So that was part of introducing the Russian hacking me to, to, to explain away the mediocre campaign that Rodney Mook and John Podesta had run, where if, if, if I, I frankly believe that if, if uh, Bernie Sanders had been allowed to receive the nomination, which he was entitled to, that he would have won against Donald Trump because their foreign policies were overlapping. He also wanted to get us out of the Middle East. But his domestic agenda is overwhelmingly more positive. For example, right now we're having a vote over a tax cut that's going to enrich the rich and make the poor poorer and, and, and just gut the middle class. I mean, it's disgraceful. That Donald Trump should be supporting this tax cut is an outrage. I did not vote for him to support this kind of redistribution of wealth based upon supply-side economic claims that have been shown to be preposterous and un unfulfillable, where if you cut taxes for the rich, they don't spend the money. The best possible way to revive an economy is giving money to poor people to go out and spend it. And that'll increase demand, which leads to an increase in supply and gets a great economic engine working. This idea of, you know, supply-side economics we've seen again and again doesn't work. The United States is in desperate states because of a political propaganda campaign to promote tax cuts for the rich. This is disgusting. Bernie would never have stood for it. I stand with Bernie. I stood with Trump against Hillary, of course, 
But by God, in relation to these domestic affairs, I stand with Bernie. He would have been a far preferable candidate for me over Donald Trump had he not been running against Hillary. No one ought to have supported Hillary. It's an outrage. So I'm not saying that the drain the swamp is taking place. I'm saying there are evidential indicators that suggest it might be uh, taking place. The evidence hasn't sufficiently settled down. If there are these indictments and they're open, we'll find what's going on. But I certainly, just because someone in the chat room says it's fake news, uh, uh, doesn't mean it is fake news. I, I respect your right to maintain that position. But that's not my position. I'm saying it may actually be taking place. Uh, here's another. Uh, Fetzer is making a presumption that belief in God means you have to discard reason and science is I can defend my beliefs before scientists and evolutionists leaving them without rebuttal. Well, the point I'm making is that belief in God is an article of faith. It cannot be justified on the basis of reason. As a professional philosopher, I, like every other student of theology, is well aware that there are no arguments that can be used to prove the existence of God that the existence of God as a completely transcendent entity outside of space and time cannot be established on the basis of any investigations that are restricted to events that take place within space and time. I mean, it should be obvious that there's a logical leap uh, to belief in a transcendent entity, an omniscient, omnipotent God, that cannot be uh, uh, tested by methods that are restricted to events that take place within space-time, as is all of science. Uh, one interesting problem that theologians have observed, however, is if you assume an all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-benevolent God, then the question that arises is how can there be so much death and destruction, pestilence and famine, which is known uh, historically, is the problem of evil. In other words, it seems difficult to reconcile an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-benevolent God with the existence of so many bad things, so many evil people, including pedophilia, let me add. And that's, a, by the way, the second reason for introducing the Russian hacking meme. They wanted to distract attention from the contents of the WikiLeaks revelations, which led to the right into Pizzagate and to John Podesta and his role as a pedophile in chief. There's a huge amount out there about this. You have to understand, you got to take it seriously if you don't know what it meant when one of the WikiLeaks revelations said that Barack Obama had spent $65,000 flying the hot dogs and pizza in from Chicago for a private party at the White House. You have to understand he's not talking about hot dogs that you put – mustard on. He's talking about pizza that might be pepperoni. He's talking about little boys and little girls being flown in for Chicago for a private pedophile party at the White House. That's what that means. If you don't understand, get an elementary introduction. There's a very good short video out there. runs about 20 minutes entitled, What We Know About Hashtag Pizzagate. Hashtag Pizzagate, okay? And in some versions, you see a, the cheerful photograph of, you know, or image of Barack Obama on the cover surrounded by, you know, a cheese pizza. This is serious stuff, very serious stuff. And there's no doubt that Jim Rothstein has it right that 70% of American politicians are pedophiles. 
this is why, you know, the, 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 the flights on the Lolita Express down to Orgy Island in the Caribbean have proven to be so significant, um, where the Orgy Island is just loaded with cameras, so they catch politicians in tawdry sex acts with underage children, and they have them a lock on them, so that the, you know, the Zios... The Israelis run these ops to entrap American politicians. I mean, it's not just that you're asked to sign a pledge to put the interests of Israel ahead of those of the United States. Well, I was recently asked by Gary King, and this is the second time someone has put this to me, how many present members of Congress have refused to sign the pledge? And I told Gary I did not know. He raised up a finger of one hand that there's only one member of Congress today who has refused to sign the pledge. And Gary may well be right, and it's a disgrace, which, which leads to another question I've asked. Given we have two choices, support Israel or be totally doomed, what do you suggest we do if we join the Zionists or do we fade away? Uh, how do we fight it? Well, it seems to me there's several methods. I mean, you have to get rid of members of Congress who are putting Israel first. I mean, we haven't got a chance. we got to have the... A president of the United States is going to require that the American Israeli Political Action Committee, which is the most powerful lobby in Washington, be registered as a foreign agent. Is Donald going to do that? That's a really litmus test question because Donald has spoken out so positively about Israel, how he's going to be Israel's greatest supporter ever, that, that if that's true, that we are in dire straits. If it's true that he's not going to drain the swamp, if it's true that those uh, those reported uh, sealed indictments are fake news, then we really are as a country in desperate straits. There's a mention here of the Samson office, and just to understand the nature of Israel. Israel at one point in time apparently had nuclear devices in every embassy in the Western Hemisphere. They were brought in in the you know to the to Israeli embassies in, in in diplomatic pouches that aren't subject to searches, and that they had what they it's widely known. I mean, among those who you know are into intel ops and all that, that was known as a Samson option. Remember, Samson brought down the whole temple around him. That if Israel felt it was going to go under. Israel was going to be taken out, that they would take all the Western nations with them. Now, my understanding is that there's been a systematic detection and neutralization of those nuclear devices in the embassies around the world. I mean, this is my present state of belief. And it's one of the areas where I'm not in the position to personally verify this to be the case. I'm giving you the results of my research in this area, which is collaborative with others who know more about some of these matters than do I. But, you know, at the very least, we have to get rid of the use of electronic voting machines. I mean, Richard Charnin, whom I introduced at the convention in Dallas, and I had collaborated before on the theft of elections right here in Wisconsin, where I reside, where Charnin discovered that five different elections, beginning with uh, Scott Walker's recall election, had been manipulated and stolen using electronic voting machines. Walker actually, in other words, was recalled but they manipulated the voting machines to create the, you know, a, a record that he was not recalled. And that's happened in four other cases. So we'll pick up when I return here after the break. Thanks. 
In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade. That's what we were told. Most Americans never believed Lee Oswald was the lone gunman, for excellent reasons. In fact, there were at least six shooters who fired from eight to ten shots or more who are identified here. We have, finally, the solution to the greatest murder mystery in history, laid out for the world to see proof after proof after proof. Photos were faked, the body was changed, x-rays were altered, the home movies were fixed. Fifteen experts contribute to a 529-page book with 1,037 photos and diagrams in black and white and color. Hi, this is Gary King. If you'd like JFK, who, how, and why, and would like to support the new JFK show, then go to PatriotRadioBooks.com. That's PatriotRadioBooks.com. Just to return to a couple of the questions, I mean, Mr. E says, you know, that he can defend his beliefs before scientists and evolutionists, leaving them without rebuttal. Well, that's far-fetched. I mean, rebuttal just means a response. I, I published on evolution. I have two books on evolution. I'm a student of evolution. Uh, modern biology doesn't make any sense absent the theory of evolution, but there are many versions of evolution. Uh, of evolutionary theory. I mean, the idea, you know, it's it's a straw man, meaning offering a simplified version of a position for which there are far more sophisticated alternatives to attack evolutionary theory as depending only on natural selection and random mutation. There are, in fact, I've identified eight different causal mechanisms of evolution, four for variation, promoting variation, random, uh, uh, you know, mutation, uh, sexual reproduction, genetic drift, genetic engineering, all of which increase the genetic diversity of a population. And four different mechanisms of selection you have. You have natural selection, you know, competition between conpacifics meaning members of the same species. You have sexual selection, the reasons why, say, a male prefers a female that has certain characteristics or traits uh, rather than another or vice versa. Uh, You have group selection, uh, which is involving why groups organized one way rather than another may have competitive advantages, even if you're talking about the same individuals as like a basketball team. If you move the players around to different positions, they'll have different disposition to produce, you know, margins of victory and so forth. And, and of course, artificial selection actually intervening as in, you know, uh, mating stallions with mares to produce thoroughbred horses. So if you're going to attack evolution as being unable to explain the emergence of life, I mean, you're actually running against the obstacle that, wow, The claim is often made that science hasn't yet explained this development or that development. That's a function of the state of knowledge at the time, which we're continuing to do research all the time. I'd be very, very surprised. I mean, I wouldn't, you know, I'd be glad to debate. I mean, this is what philosophers do. I mean, this is our bread and butter. We deal with issues like this about the existence of God and, you know, evolution of nature, especially a philosopher of science such as myself. So, uh, you know, 
what can I tell you online? Where have I, I did the debate, I think, or discussion about evolution. I'll have to think about where evolving consciousness, I got a paper about evolving consciousness. It may be online, but uh, I've got a book, you know, the evolution of intelligence. That's all about uh, the nature of evolutionary theory and its sophisticated diversity and the emergence of human mind from animal mind, especially primate mind. And then, Comparisons of the mind of a mountain gorilla, for example, is a sophisticated form of a primate mind versus the human mind. And then to go into the nature of mind, which is a really fascinating subject where I have quite a few books and many articles. I mean, you know, this is uh, stuff I've uh, found extremely interesting in my academic career. But I don't think there's a serious doubt among theologians uh, or philosophers that, you know, the existence of God is uh, not something that is capable of being established by science. I mentioned the problem of evil. The usual response is that, you know, God wanted man to have free will to be able to make his own choices and that some of those are for evil and some of those are for good, but thought it was greater, of greater value to have free will than it is to, you know, determine that human behavior always be positive and constructive rather than a turn toward the dark side. Um, one could argue that, but obviously the existence of God is, 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 is as a supernatural. I mean, just get the notion supernatural. That means transcends nature. That means it's not within the scope of, of, of the phenomena that are capable to be studied by the natural sciences, because the natural sciences are restricted to the natural world. There, there's nothing controversial about what I'm saying here, but I think it's easy to misunderstand. And the fact that, yeah, you have a, you're skilled in argument, that's good. I compliment that. Um, uh, but, you know, rebuttal just means a response. I mean, you can't... There's, there's, it's just too much to claim that you can give arguments for which no one can have a rebuttal. My God, you know, that's just uh, extreme. Let's see, what else do we have here? Um, well, the fake news, I know, I've already mentioned that. Uh, Diet Joke is complaining that I wasn't answering the questions, but I'm not answering them on his agenda. I'm answering them on my agenda. There's so much I want to report and uh, explain that I'm not going to, you know, immediately leap to a question just because a question is advanced. But as I said I would do, and I am doing, I'm going to take questions coming from the chat room seriously. I respond to four or five already. Those are the ones I see here. There was a question about, uh, you know, who was responsible for the death of JFK, which I, I don't mind addressing further before I turn to Las Vegas, and I expect to give us an update about Las Vegas before the show ends today. <laughs> Lyndon Johnson, as I'm certain I must have explained before, forced himself on the ticket in Los Angeles. Jack had already invited Stuart Symington of Missouri to be his running mate, gave him overnight to think about it. Uh, Bobby went by the Johnson suite to extend a pro forma invitation, meaning just a gesture. Never expected the powerful majority leader would take on. I mean, you know, the, the vice president has been described as uh, ha- having the value of a bucket of warm, well, they put it in polite language, spit. But actually, I mean, it, it, a bucket of warm piss is the is the typical, the actual historical phrase. In other words, the vice presidency has not been viewed as a powerful political position in the past. But Lyndon 
had a plan so that when Bobby came by uh, to extend a pro forma invitation, he leaped on it. He threatened to expose that Jack had, had Addison's disease, wasn't expected to live a long, healthy life, that he'd had dalliances with beautiful women, some of whom were spies for his Germany, both of which were true. And that if he were not on the ticket, then in his position as a powerful majority leader, any legislative proposal sent down from the White House would be dead on arrival because he would kill them. Bobby and Jack found themselves boxed in. They didn't have an alternative. They couldn't figure a way out. Now, this is something you have to understand about the history of the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Lyndon forced himself on the ticket to be in the position to ascend to the presidency when they took him out. That was the plan from the beginning. 1960 in Los Angeles. So one of Lyndon's wealthy backers heard the news. He burst into the Johnson suite cursing and swearing because now LBJ was going to help JFK become president of the United States. Bobby Baker took him into a bedroom and explained what they had in mind. He came out all smiles. And he said he thought that was an excellent plan. Bobby Baker would later announce in public that JFK would not live out his first term and that he would die a violent death. Now, how do you think Bobby Baker would know that? Lyndon Johnson would send his chief administrative assistant, Cliff Carter, down to Dallas to make sure all the arrangements were in place for the assassination. Now, I've had over 100 hours, 100 conversations with Madeline Duncan Brown, a Lyndon mistress, to whom he more or less confessed. She was there at the ratification meeting the night before at the home of Clint Merkus, and I'm certain I must have explained all this before. And then on New Year's Eve, they had a rendezvous at the Driscoll Hotel in Austin, Texas, where she confronted him with rumors rampant in Dallas at the time that he'd been involved since no one stood to gain more personally. And he blew up at her and told her the CIA and the oil boys had decided he had to be taken out. Now, to understand the assassination, because it's so complex, you have to distinguish between the sponsors, the individuals and groups who wanted Lyndon out principally for uh, Jack out and Lyndon in principally for reasons of policy. The facilitators who made it happen and the mechanics and their supervisors the actual shooters and their coordinators on the ground. I've identified six of the shooters, a deputy sheriff, Harry Weatherford, firing from the top of the county records building, Air Force expert Jack Lawrence firing from inside the triple underpass, uh, anti-Castro Cuban from inside the Daltex, Nestor Tony Escadro, supervised by George Herbert Walker Bush, Frank Sturgis, a soldier of fortune, firing from the intersection of the triple underpass and the picket fence. Uh, Roscoe White, firing a shot from the grassy knoll, but it was going to hit Jackie, and they were under strict instruction that she should not uh, be harmed. So it wound up in the grass where a lieutenant, Dallas PD lieutenant, picked it up and pocketed it. Uh, then we have Malcolm Mac Wallace, Lyndon's personal hitman, who murdered a dozen people for Lyndon, including one of his own sisters, because she was talking too much. Firing at John Conley and the mistaken belief that was Ralph Yarborough, where Lyndon had a huge argument with Jack that morning, trying to get Conley out and Yarborough in. Uh, uh, Jack overrode him on the ground that the chief executive of the state should ride with the chief executive of the United States and that settled it, it was too late to get the words of the shooters. 
Listen, I've been at this JFK stuff in a serious way since 1992. Okay, so what is that? 25 years? Uh, 2017? Uh, I mean, look, I wanted you to have the benefit of my research, which has been collaborative with the best people, the best experts to ever study the case, World Authority on the Human Brain, also an expert on wound ballistic, PhD in physics, also MD, board certified radiation oncology expert in the interpretation of x-rays, a physician who was actually there in trauma room one when he was brought in, and then two days later was responsible for the care and treatment of his alleged assassin, a legendary photo and film analyst, another PhD in physics. So, you know, give me any questions you want about it, but there's a nice overview you might want to review. I did on the Brian Rue, R-U-H-E show. So if you just enter Brian Rue, R-U-H-E, J-F-K, you'll have a two-hour overview of the entire assassination. Uh, I go out of my way to give you the evidence right there up close and personal so you can see it for yourself. That's what I do. That's why I'm even taping our shows here right here on The Raw Deal and having them put up on the Gary King YouTube channel so you can see the stories I'm talking about at the very time I'm talking about. And then do your own research. And I want you to be sure to, uh, you know, keep sending me questions. I haven't had an update from Gerber, uh, but I'm glad to have more questions. Whether I get to them today or not is another question, because I want to return now to an update about Las Vegas, where we have the sheriff <clears throat> declaring that Stephen Paddock fired over 1,100 rounds during the Las Vegas uh, concert attack. Well, this is all complete nonsense, complete rubbish. I mean, if there are 1,100 rounds, where are 1,100 shell casings? You're, if you look at photographs of inside of the uh, suite, the paddock suite, you find there's no superabundance of shell casings. They should be everywhere. 1,100, that's a lot. Count them. Instead, we have a number of weapons there that are all on the agenda for the gun control people. You know, this is a staged event. You got the body with a weapon on top of the leg where it ought not to be if this had been real. We got the other photograph of the upper torso and the blood. We have shell casings on top of the blood. Now, ponder, you know, if this guy is committing suicide once he's dead, he's not firing off any more rounds. The shell casing should be under the blood. As Scott Bennett, who has a show on Tuesday and Thursday, which I highly recommend in this very same time slot right here on Revolution Radio, observe. Among the shell casings that are distributed there, and it's only a couple of dozen, there are shell casings for blanks, which have a crimped cartridge, and for CO2 cartridges that are used to fire gas-propelled pellet guns. I mean, they shouldn't be there. This is because you had a, somebody setting the stage who's used to Hollywood where they just want to create a certain effect. So you got the body and shell casing. They're thinking about the fact that the sheriff would say there are got to be 1,100 of them when there are only a couple of dozen. They never imagined it'd be this close-up examination and you'd find some of these shell casings aren't for real, real bullets, but they're for, for, for blanks. And the CO2 cartridges, give me a break, okay? So I'm telling you, anyone who's looking at the evidence, who's paying attention, realizes this is all complete and total bullshit. Here we have the security officer who actually works on the 32nd floor, never heard of Jesus Campos. And, of course, I've reported before, Jesus Campos wasn't even registered in Las Vegas to be a security guard. You've got to be registered as a security guard. Jesus Campos, not registered as a security guard. So, you know... 
And then he shows up on on the Ellen DeGeneres show, and he's got packed on 30 to 50 pounds more, and he doesn't wear his prescription glasses, and Ellen doesn't seem comfortable, and it's clear she's been forced to do this interview, and now he's back to the original story that he had contact with with, uh, Paddock at the end of the shooting spree. Uh, causing him to stop shooting and to commit suicide. Now, he hasn't gone back to the revision to the earlier story that he actually had contact with him at the beginning and that Paddock had fired 200 rounds down the hallway of a luxury hotel with no detection. Uh, I mean, this is just absurd beyond belief. So it turns out Ellen DeGeneres' show is owned by MGM. And that means that James Marin, who was selling off 80% of his stock, you know, was able to order Ellen DeGeneres to an interview with this guy who really bears a striking resemblance to the male of the Muslim couple responsible for San Bernardino, where we actually have the Craigslist ad for extras at San Bernardino. Good food, transportation, some speaking roles. Call date December 1st, going live December 2nd. I mean, we, there's been one after another after another. I've even got a book about that, right? Uh, well, actually, I don't. I've got a book about Orlando and uh, Dallas, which was all fraudulent. And, uh, you know, hundreds of photos of Hillary and her, her various, two of her various doubles, where I think she now has had as many as eight, even including during the debates. I mean, this is embarrassingly bad. So we get even Laura Ingram, who's got a new show on Fox, and I, I like Laura Ingram. I think she's really smart, raising questions about how we seem to know less now than we did at the beginning. What was the killer's motive? Why do the police timeline keep changing? Why were the explosives in the explosives in the shooter's car? I'm not even aware of the explosives in the shooter's car. That's a multimillionaire, right, according to this story. We're given so much complete and other bullshit. What's on the shooter's missing hard drive? Why is there no investigative coverage of Vegas shooting by major media organizations? Why did the story simply vanish from the news cycle with so much public interest, so many unanswered questions? Over a month and a half later, we know exactly as much as we did in the immediate aftermath of the attack, virtually nothing. Contrast that to the recent attack in New York where a detailed picture of the suspect and his activities in the hours and days of the attack was public within hours. But that's another fake event. I mean, I got to tell you, these, these are all fake, staged. And it's to promote, you know, public fear and anxiety. So we're supposed to feel more dependent on the state and its protective arm. Remember, when, the, when you learn the FBI erased the cell phones and the laptops of persons who'd been present at the concert, that is just as telling as J. Edgar Hoover putting out a memorandum that somebody was impersonating Lee Oswald in Mexico City. It's just as damning. It means the whole thing is fraudulent. And we have photographs of, you know, bodies being transferred from a funeral home to, a, to an ambulance so they can be presented as dead people who died in Las Vegas. We got the Mona Alexis Presley, and I'm going to put all these links to all these articles on my blog, on my new sub-forum when we have it up. I've just got to figure out how to get in there and put them up. And then you can look to your heart's content and challenge me, challenge me. Uh, but, but get familiar with the evidence so that your challenges aren't just based on ignorance, okay? Challenge me.
You know, Mona Alexis Presley has been tracking the obituaries and she finds her for people who died in different states or on different dates or from different causes of death. I mean, once you realize this is all fraudulent, here we have efforts to, you know, compensate for the gaps in the story. Even Tucker Carlson, who's a real smart guy, I think he's honest as the day is long, but he doesn't have a mind for conspiracies. He just doesn't understand them. So he was apparently ordered to have on a woman who claimed to have new footage where you see somebody actually dying. This is fraudulent, completely fake. You got a new proof. Witnesses claim helicopters were used. Well, they're throwing in everything but the kitchen sink. We also get a sheik saying he had assassins there. This is so the public will give up and discuss that there are so many different stories they can't imagine what actually happened. This is why you heard that the Russians did it and, the, and Castro did it and the mafia did it and all that. Once you sort out the authentic from the inauthentic evidence, there isn't any doubt about it. Okay, you had the sponsors, the individuals and groups who want JFK dead included the CIA. Jack was threatening to shatter it into a thousand pieces. He'd already put the covert ops under the control of the Pentagon. Didn't like that either. The Joint Chief was upset because he had invaded Cuba contrary to the unanimous recommendation. He'd signed an above-ground test ban treaty with the Soviet Union against their unanimous opposition. Now he's pulling our forces out of Vietnam, where they believed a stand that'd be taken against the expansion of international godless communism. The anti-Castro-Cubans wanted revenge for the Bay of Pigs, where they felt JFK had betrayed them. It was a false story, but the CIA allowed their anger to fester toward JFK, lest it be diverted toward the agency itself. The mafia was upset because... Bobby was cracking down on organized crime, more arrests, indictments, convictions than ever before in history, just as Edgar had uh, sex dossiers on the members of Congress. The mafia had one on Edgar, including photographs of him in compromising positions with his close personal friend, Clyde Tolson. The, uh, the Eastern establishment was upset. JFK had instructed the Department of Treasury to print interest-free notes, United States notes. As a young Marine Corps officer, I held one of the notes in my hand. It had a red embossed imprint. He thought it was absurd. The government should be paying interest to a consortium of private banks for printing the currency of the United States when the Department of Treasury could print it just as well and not pay interest. <clears throat> Even James Corbett, i got to say, and I'm going to be returning to this subject, has been attacking JFK on a bunch of nonsensical grounds, denying he printed United States notes. There's an excellent article about it. Just do a search on, you know, JFK printing United States notes. I intend to republish it on my blog. Uh, the, the oil men were upset he was going to cut the oil depletion allowance, which was a huge tax write-off they got on the ground that the, the claim that it was oil is a finite resource. And by, 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 you know, pumping oil out of the ground, they were putting themselves out of business and the, Israel, as I've already explained, was upset with Jack because he wanted, did not want Israel to develop nuclear weapons. He thought it would initiate a nuclear arms race in, in the Middle East. I mean, Jack was, Jack was a visionary. We'd have a completely different world if he'd lived, and that's why he was taken out. There were powerful, entrenched interests who didn't want that new world, that new vision of JFK. And he was betrayed by some of his closest advisors up to and including I'm now convinced uh, the, 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 the Bundy brothers, like George Bundy and his brother, 
Uh, I mean, this is awful. There's a, a wonderful book, actually, about this aspect of the case by Alan Solarian, MD, who used to be the top shrink for the FBI. Uh, you can find it on Amazon. Okay, look for Alan Solarian, S-A-L-E-R-I-I-N. I think it's called JFK, The Magnificent Journey. And Alan is a gifted painter. So you find in this little book, he also has paintings related to the assassination. So it's a really a fascinating little book. <clears throat> I think very highly of Alan. We got to know each other first when he flew out here to Madison to visit with me because he was becoming interested in JFK. We also have a returning to Las Vegas analysis of the crime scene that Stephen Paddock's body was rolled over for the photo shoot. Well, the intel have, may have it right on this one, but they had it wrong on an earlier report, which was extremely significant. They noticed that 17 ambulances had been gathered in front of Hooters. So they thought there'd been a massacre at Hooters that was being kept uncovered. Uh, but in fact, we have internal footage from Hooters, and there were a whole bunch of crisis actors there with their sheets. So they could be taken out on stretchers, pulling their sheet over them as victims. Okay, I mean, totally fraudulent. Once you get into some of this, you see inside footage from Hooters and you see all the crisis actors sitting around. They're not dead. They're just bored. They're bored stiff. You know, it's like a Madonna in Desperately Seeking Zeus and we thought you were dead. No, just in New Jersey. <coughs> For people living in New York, right? Being in New Jersey is just as bad as being dead. Because Intel HUD was right on it with regard to their report and their footage from inside the Hooters, but it showed a bunch of crisis actors sitting around with their sheets waiting to be taken out. Here's a good one. This is new on YouTube. Footage emerges of Vegas crisis director caught directing scene at Vegas shooting. <coughs> he does two takes, two different takes. And he tells the actors what to say, not to say. He's right there involved in the construction. I mean, this is during the shooting. You got a director on there on the scene doing two takes. You think this is like uh, the two takes with the kids being evacuated from Sandy Hook, photographed by Shannon Hicks. So that, you know, we have the first photograph, and it looks like there's a policewoman escorting these kids out to uh, safety from the mass shooting. But then it turns out she took an earlier photograph where you have all the parents, you know, half a dozen parents in the foreground with their arms folded, hands in their pockets, casually looking on. If you look in the background, there are two other parents just casually looking on. I call this lounging at the massacre. And the policewoman is rearranging the kids in the line. So you've got, instead of a little girl in a pink skirt, she's replaced with a little boy in a, in a, in a blue sweater and blue jeans. And the little girl in a pink sweater is put way back. Uh, you don't stop to get to rearrange the kids to get a better shot during a mass shooting. You, you don't stop to do two takes. Catch on. More to come. Keep sending those cards and letters from the chat room. Thanks, everything. Bye for now. In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade. That's what we were told. Most Americans never believed Lee Oswald was the lone gunman for excellent reasons. In fact, there were at least six shooters who fired from eight to ten shots or more who are identified here. We have, finally, the solution to the greatest murder mystery in history, laid out for the world to see proof after proof after proof. Photos were faked. 
the body was changed, x-rays were altered, the home movies were fixed. Fifteen experts contribute to a 529-page book with 1,037 photos and diagrams in black and white and color. Hi, this is Gary King. If you'd like JFK, who, how, and why, and would like to support the new JFK show, then go to PatriotRadioBooks.com. That's PatriotRadioBooks.com.